0: This Dharma talk by John Sutherland, Self and Soul 2, was given at Saragorda Temple, Santa Fe, New Mexico on February 4th, 2010. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. When Nick, Nick was giving the instructions for walking meditation, I remembered that um, I was just in Tucson doing a retreat for our um, cousins there at Desert Rain Zen group and um, the timekeeper at one point gave these gorgeous walking meditation instructions where he said we walk as one body please be sure to keep up with the person behind you <laughs> 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 which I thought was good. <laughs> <laughs> perfect koan way walking instructions um, we're in a we're in an extended conversation. These talks um, about the self and the soul. So I want to continue with that tonight. And um, I'm using self and soul each as a kind of shorthand for things because self and soul are obviously big words that can mean <clears throat> a lot of different things in different contexts. So what I mean when I say self in the context of these talks is. Um, the constructed self, the self that um, in certain psychologies would be called the ego, um, in certain Zen would be called the small mind, um, in neurology would be called uh, that part of our neural circuitry that acts as the interpreter. So it's the part of us that... that um, Provides a kind of continuity and is usually what we mean in ordinary circumstances when we say "I" or "me." That's what we're pointing to. Um, the soul that I'm speaking of isn't a, um, a, a something that inhabits a body for a while and then goes on to an afterlife of some sort or another. I'm using a a somewhat idiosyncratic but also rooted in, in Buddhist philosophy definition of the soul which is in contrast to the self which tells the story of our lives and also makes meaning about the events of our lives the soul is the repository of everything that happens to us with us, through us, around us it's just the uh, accumulation of our experiences of, of life and, um, and the way we are affected by life and affect life. So the simplest way, although, I don't know, to me it's the simplest way of thinking about the soul is that it's that accumulation of energies and matter in a very local space, which we think of as ourselves, um, which which are a part of the universe. So it is that part of the universe in this little local space we call ourselves, and what it's like there. That's what the soul is, what it's like here, in this little piece of the universe. So the thing I want to focus on tonight is story and meaning, which are two of the great um, projects of the self, to tell a continuous story, to have a narrative of our lives and, and uh, who we are that's running constantly and being updated constantly by everything that happens and uh, is so eager to let us know <laughs> what's happening and what it means. So the meaning thing is really important. Um, we were talking last time about how the self originally developed as a kind of way of protecting the organism and that there's something quite noble about a part of, a part of us that steps forward and says, okay, I'll protect the organism and I'll do that by being vigilant, by paying... Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, let 's see do we have more are there more candles around yes. maybe we could just have one or two more Put this, in the dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is the the dark of the soul. <laughs> Well, I'll just carry on in the dark. Um, so, so if the if the self's job is to kind of protect the organism and and create a pattern so that when you wake up in the morning you don't have to recreate yourself and the world, you know, you recognize yourself, you sort of have a sense of what happened yesterday and what's supposed to happen today, and the world isn't some completely bizarre, strange, alien thing. You kind of know that um, this is the floor and that's my car outside and this is what the toothbrush is for and all of that stuff. So, so far so good. And if, if the self were only doing that, probably there would be a lot fewer people in this room because not much of a problem. Where there can become a problem is that the self has decided that its job is not only to kind of keep this pattern and this continuity going, it's also to evaluate everything. It's also to give a value and a meaning to everything. And largely, almost overwhelmingly, that the value that gets assigned to things is what does this mean for me? And that's from the largest to the smallest. So... Initially, when, um, when the self was, was getting born and getting created, it was stuff like, oh, distant campfire, coming closer. Oh, my clan sitting around the campfire. That's good. Or hmm, saber-toothed tiger sitting on the rock in a crouched position. That's bad. (laughs) So so there was this kind of a value to sense that was very immediate and quite important, really. But what happened over time was that that uh, desire to make value about everything spread everywhere and became part of everything. So it's like... Facial expression on friend—that's bad, <laughs> you know. Um, t- chance to go to the movies tonight—that's good. And there's and there's this sort of this constant um, deciding whether things are are good or bad at a level that's kind of overwhelming and boring and tiring and oppressive, or can be at times. So that's what sort of gets us into this room, is a a desire to be liberated from that constant evaluation. And I would say that constant making of meaning. Thank you. The self is always trying to decide what things mean it's always trying to fit it into the ongoing narrative find its place figure out how to line it up and and decide what it means for us and we tend to think of meaning as being pretty much a good thing it's good to have a meaning in life it's good to know the meanings of things but even that making meaning can become tremendously oppressive um, because it creates a distance between ourselves and the thing we're deciding what the meaning is. We've, we've in a way, stopped listening to what's happening and we're, we've taken a step back and we're trying to decide what the meaning is, which is a different order of experience than just listening to the thing itself. Um, so I, this is, this is sort of the moment when I got the, the the possible oppression of meaning. Many years ago, a, a friend of mine said that she'd gone into the forest and had taken a, a sort of bush, bushwhack across a, a hill and had got, come home with a really, really terrible case of poison oak. And uh, she was wondering what that meant. <clears throat> and my immediate response was, maybe it means don't bushwhack at this time of year, you know. But... but she had a sense that there was some larger meaning that was that the universe was trying to to impart to her, and um, you know mm-hmm. that the the difficulties of that i think are sort of obvious that when we 're in that second order of experience rather than in the first order of experience of itch 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 mm-hmm. um, so the 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 alternative that I would suggest to making meaning about things is not a nihilistic, nothing matters, it's meaningless, don't, don't even bother. Rather, it's a refraining from making meaning so that the field stays open and alive and there are many possible meanings present. We don't collapse around a particular story or a particular meaning we leave the field open and leave the possibilities open and that's quite different than saying nothing matters and and nothing means anything so in contrast to the self's <laughs> affinity for story and meaning neither of those things exist in the soul and let me let me be clear that I'm not talking geography here. I'm not talking like there's one part of you that's yourself and there's another part of you that's your soul. They're viewpoints. They're ways of seeing and experiencing your life. And if you are experiencing your life and understanding your life largely from the viewpoint of the self, your life is going to look like one thing. It's going to look in a particular way. And I hope to make that really clear in in a few minutes. If you look at your life from the perspective of, from the viewpoint of the soul, things might look really different. You might experience and understand them quite differently, even though you're looking at the same events. In the soul, there isn't meaning or um, story. There is just this accumulation of experience. And things just fall on each other and they pile up and it isn't linear it's they it's things are associated by juxtaposition and accumulation rather than by a linear narrative telling you where things fit together and what they mean i think of it as a kind of pond or pool of water and into that pool of water are constantly flowing all of these rivulets of of experience, of sensation, of emotion and thought, of karma and landscape and politics and world events and all of that flowing into this pool or pond and accumulating and mixing and creating this lightly shaped thing which is the you that is the local experience of the universe of itself for this time, for these years, these moments. There is actually um, a technical term for this in in Buddhism, which is the alaya vijñana, the storehouse consciousness. (laughs) Underneath all of the various ways we have of experiencing the world, there is this great storehouse consciousness where everything eventually filters down sifts down and falls like leaves in the autumn into this storehouse where it remains so a kind of correlation can be made between what i'm talking about as the soul and what what buddhism speaks of as the storehouse consciousness the alaya vijnana okay So what's it like to experience your life from the perspective of the soul rather than the perspective of the self? What I'd like to do is actually see if we can do that right here and right now pretty simply and quickly because I think that'll go a long ways further towards explaining what I'm talking about than than my words. So are you willing to do a little experiment with me? Okay. So the first thing is, here's the perspective of the self. Fill in the blank in this sentence. I had a blank childhood. Okay, just pick an adjective. I had a something childhood. And just sit with that thought for a moment and notice what it feels like to think about, I had a something childhood. Childhood. Okay, now let's walk a little ways in the direction of the soul. Drop the adjective out so that the thought is, I had a childhood. (coughs) What's that like? now let's wade into the pool of the soul. Here's the thought from the soul's perspective. There was a childhood. What's that like? Okay. Does anyone want to speak to what you notice about the differences in those thoughts? I felt to say I had a childhood and real and accurate and to try and constrain it into one's (coughs) razor I feel it's true yeah it felt really incomplete the first round Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to put one adjective to it felt really incomplete Mm -hmm. for me there was a childhood that was very amorphous and nebulous. Say again? It was amorphous and nebulous. Uh-huh. And okay. And what was that like? It felt fine. Um, it felt spacious. There was no details, no stories. I really liked there was a childhood because I was got much more distant from it, and I felt freer, just really much freer. And a lot of time had passed. Like each time uh, we we did that, more time had passed. Mm-hmm. Lots more time. Yeah. The first one I mean, it was really vivid. Like, It wasn't even a really precise like location, literally. And I reacted to it right? pretty much out of, and then it got much, it more spin. Yeah, just sort of, um, it got bigger, but it didn't get, um, it didn't get, it uh, was it was less detailed. It was much funnier. in the sand and the water just washes it away mm. so it just so um, or bend in the grass or kind of imprint there was something hmm. and the first one for me there was judgment the around my childhood mm-hmm. and then when you said well, I had a childhood there was no adjective it was still mine mm-hmm. and then when you changed it to there was a childhood it didn't become mine any longer it was an observation Mm and what was that like? oh it was so much more I think like uh, you said there was so much more space and relaxation and no judgment and uh, it felt more eternal than you couldn't find in a certain time and place yeah There's also something there. Did anybody have the sense of that it's a way of making a connection with other human beings? There's a sense of oh, there was a childhood. That's something humans do. We have childhoods, mm-hmm. 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 you know, and that that's that. There's something warm about that, and also spacious. Mm-hmm. I Actually, um, it's slight like variation to um, that. It was, I. I heard there's there was a childhood and then and there were was this childhood and this other people with childhood. I mean all of a sudden it was mm-hmm. this much bigger picture that included many childhoods and points in time mm-hmm. so it felt it felt connected in a much bigger um an intimate way with many, many things at once. Hmm. It felt kind of um, the the last one, there was a childhood, it felt funny to me to have a there was, because it seemed to kind of place it in the time narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, So what Ellen was saying, like, oh, childhood. Hmm. Look, childhood. Here's childhood, or, you know, I don't know, some other (laughs) plan. That's great, Malik. Okay, so that's. That's the koan move. So in the, in the soul, you rest in, there was a childhood, and then when you bring the, mm-hmm. the, the koan way to it, what happens is childhood, you mm-hmm. <laughs> know? Because there's a, there's, it's like you sink into the pool and then you rise again from the pool with something, you know, it's something in the way of imagination. from where I am right now just experiencing a lot of death and sort of pondering that that there was a child that felt sad to me. Mm -hmm. Like um, it what didn't have a charge like you know the adjective in the first one but just sort of looking around the room and feeling for myself like there was one and it's it's in the past, I guess relating to the time Mm there So just don't know. So, um, something really important about the soul is uh, the the poet Rilke said of of the painter Cezanne that he really loved Cezanne's paintings because Cezanne didn't paint I like this he painted here it is mm-hmm. and when you move from the self to the soul you're moving from I like this or I hate this to here it is mm-hmm. and that's why the formulation there you know there was a or there is a so uh the, the self says i love the ocean there's nothing wrong with that that's great and the soul says there is love of the ocean here so the way the, sel- the the way the soul looks at our lives is to say there is love of the ocean here there is there was a childhood there is a childhood the childhood is eternal there are these things here now for this for this time rather than uh, speaking about an eye who feels something, or is experiencing them in a certain way—is that—is that, is that kind of clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So let's let's do one more thing, and then we will um, we'll we'll call it an, a night in the dark. One of the things about the soul is because there's no narrative line, and there's no pattern or organizing, a lot of it can feel as though it's in the dark. Um, and in a sense it is but it's not a distant dark it's not a dark from which we are separated or can't know it's a dark that's really accessible to us, it's kind of right here all the time and it's almost just a matter of leaning back a little bit and then you just connect with that dark and connect with what is what is held there all the time and quite available to us it's just that mostly we're looking with the eyes of the bright And one of the things about including the perspective of the soul is is about is also including the eyes of the dark. Can you see with the eyes of the bright and the eyes of the dark simultaneously? Okay, so this time, imagine, think back to something that happened today. It doesn't have to be particularly important uh, or have a big charge on it can just be a very ordinary thing that happened today, but something that's sort of vivid. Like I'm thinking, um, this afternoon I lay down to take a nap, and as I drifted to sleep I was thinking about this talk tonight. Okay, so that's my moment. Think about it like that, I, what I did, what you did. now look at that same event that same very simple thing from the perspective of the soul so there is there is a silk coverlet there is translucent curtains glowing with the the light reflected off the snow there is the drip of snow melting off the roof there is Thoughts that get looser and wilder the closer to sleep they come, and then there is nothing. What's the difference between the I perspective and the there is perspective? So there's a sense of pride associated with the I. Mm. And there's sort of this scary thing of letting it go at the same time liberating. Mm. One's a story, and the other one's a poem. This one. Right? I bought an orange jumper, it's a thrift shop, it's kind of small. And somehow, that even that there is such a <laughs> thing, there's, there's sort of sense of wonder can break open with the, just that it's even there, that there's even
1: a thrift shop. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, wow. Well, <laughs> <laughs>
0: If I chose the I one, I was suffering and, and there is, I didn't have to suffer. So perhaps something you could do would be, as you walk around in your daily life, and when you catch the the narration going on, oh, long bank line! I hate standing in line. This is so. I've got so much important things to do, and here I am. Okay, when you notice when you notice that narration. See if you can uh, do it with the, from the perspective of the soul. See if you can do a there is. And see what difference that makes. Okay? If you want to play with that, do. <coughs> see how things shift from I to there is. Okay. Any questions? Um, any questions? Anything that must be said? before we close okay thank you These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.